In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, today we consider Luke 5, the historical account of the miraculous catch of fish. Uh, This week, as is my custom, I usually listen to a number of different sermons on the text from churches close by, uh, from surrounding churches, and I found that each one of those sermons, I listened to about six of them, uh, each one of those sermons preached the text in the same way. And what they said was that this gospel lesson is the conversion of Peter. So this text applies to us because when Jesus calls us to be Christians now, he calls us to also be fishers of men, to leave what we have, to engage in the work of ministry and to follow him. But I'm here to tell you that this text is not about Peter's conversion. And we know this because in the previous chapter, in chapter 4, Jesus was already in Peter's house and he healed Peter's mother-in-law. And Peter witnessed this. Even more, Peter's brother, Andrew, told Peter that we had found the Messiah and he brought uh, Peter to Christ. And that's uh, that's where Christ renamed Peter. And from that point, Peter was following Jesus. This, we already see this in John chapter 1. So this means that Peter not only knew of Jesus, but he also believed in Jesus before the miraculous catch of fish. This is why he called him Lord. So the point I'm making here today is that in the gospel lesson for today, Jesus doesn't call Peter to be a Christian. Jesus calls Peter to be a preacher, an apostle of his church. Jesus said, do not be afraid from now on you will be catching men. That's what he means by this. And this is why Peter responds by leaving his business, all he has, he makes the biggest catch of his life and he leaves it behind and he goes and follows Jesus. We know later on in his life, he is martyred then for the faith, loses all things. Okay, so some will ask and say, well, what is the difference? Who cares? Who cares if he called him to be a Christian or if he called him to be a pastor, an apostle of the church? It, what difference does it make? Isn't the, it's all the same. What does it change? Well, the truth is, is that it changes a lot. If you say that Jesus called Peter to be a Christian, then that means in order to be a Christian, you need to do what Peter did. You need to drop all you have and leave your job and do the work of the ministry. In this way, Uh, I want to tell you that that is a very dangerous teaching throughout church history, especially during the time of the Reformation, about 500 years ago, some Christians fell deeply into this teaching. The Roman Catholic Church officially teaches a doctrine that is called super erogation, super erogation, which literally means super good works, super works. They teach that there is a distinction between works. And they say there, we, we have regular works, good works, and then we have super good works. Uh, even better ones, ones that go above and beyond the regular works that the common Christian is supposed to do. And so the argument was this. This is how they reasoned. What's better, cleaning your home or reading the Bible? And they said, well, reading the Bible, of course. 
What's better, eating your dinner with your family or feeding the poor? And they say, well, feeding the poor. And so they followed this logic. Then they said, well, we're going to create a new life for ourselves. And this was called the monastic or ascetic life. They separated themselves physically entirely from this world. They left their job and they took a vow of poverty. They left their family. They took a vow of celibacy. They locked themselves in a monastery and read 150 Psalms a week. They had no mouth to feed, no rooms to clean, no wife or children to care for. So they devoted every waking minute to meditating and reading the Bible. And they were doing what we would call super erogation, super good works. They separated themselves from ordinary, regular Christians who weren't so serious about the faith. And these were the ones who were really doing the will of God above and beyond everything that he asked for. Christians engaged in good works. But these engaged in super good works. Christians followed the Ten Commandments, but these surpassed the Ten Commandments. And that was a holier life, they said, because they left everything to follow Jesus. Now, this teaching makes complete sense if you believe in salvation by works. If you had to earn your way to heaven, it makes sense to figure out what is better And then going out of your way to do that instead of the regular common thing in order to gain eternal life. This is what Luther, Martin Luther, opposed so vehemently. He did this because this is entirely against what Jesus taught. Jesus never, he, he taught us that works don't save us. He also taught us not to leave our family, not to leave our home and our work. He calls us to believe in the gospel while also living in this world, to be in this world, but not of it. Jesus upholds marriage and family. He welcomes children. He praises the mothers who bring them to him. To follow Jesus means to listen to his word and live by it, and his word upholds marriage and family and children. Today, we don't see much monasticism anymore. But we are tempted to think the way they did. In the 1970s, there was a man by the name of Oscar Foyt who wrote a book titled, Everyone a Minister. And his point is this. There's no distinction between the call of a pastor and the call of a Christian. They are both the same. Every Christian needs to be involved in or start a ministry of their own. So helping out with Sunday school wasn't enough. It had to become children's ministry. Playing the organ wasn't enough. It had to become music ministry. Churches created then a certain group of members to take care of confessing the faith or evangelizing. And they called this an outreach ministry. And eventually, everything in the church turned into a ministry. It was a worship ministry or a puppet ministry or clown ministry or dog ministry or school ministry, so on and so forth. And since everyone was a minister, then everything that was done was a ministry. And the ministry that the Lord has given was lost in the sea of all of those ministries. Now, the result here, what I want to say is this. The result here is that Oscar Feucht divided the church into two classes of Christians. 
On the one hand, you had super involved, engaged Christians, part of some exciting and growing ministry. And on the other hand, you had Christians who came to church. Some Christians attend church and receive the forgiveness of sins and go back to their family at home, and others go above and beyond that. And the idea is that no matter what you're doing, you could always be doing something better, something holier. And my question is, how is this any different than monasticism? Is this, it, it, it's a different name, a different uh, uh, way of doing it, but it's the same idea. The, the belief is that churchly work is more important and better than just coming to church. And the truth is, is it's not. Being, look, being part of a group, helping in the church, volunteering is outstanding and helpful. And I'm not disparaging that and I'm not telling you to stop if you're doing this. What I'm saying is that all of that isn't more holy than being a mom at home. It's not. Helping out with the youth group, short-term mission trips and charities is excellent and great. But it's not more righteous than feeding your family and praying with your children before bed. I'm saying this because I've noticed how many Christians feel embarrassed about their own lives. They tell me they feel like they failed or that what they do in life isn't significant because it is ordinary. I've seen this happen a lot in families, especially with fathers and mothers. <clears throat> they think that staying home with their children isn't holy or meaningful in and of itself. But the truth is that the mother who changes her baby's diaper alone, who cleans up their messes and gets her children dressed through sweat and tears, is doing a more significant work than all of the monks and nuns and Pharisees and ministries combined in one work. A father who takes out the trash and teaches his children to pray is doing something far more meaningful than this world could ever imagine. You could do these things, and you do these things and you have no thanks or praise from the world, but who cares if the world doesn't recognize you? Because God does, and he loves you, and he praises you for these small, seemingly insignificant and meaningless works. And he says, these are good things. This is holy. This is righteous to do. Don't, don't uh, fall for the illusion to say that it has to be uh, wrapped in some sort of ministry or church. It has to be done in the church in order for it to be holy and good and righteous. It is holy, good, and righteous because that's what God has called you to do. Taking care of your sick spouse is a good and holy work. Jesus himself says, whatever you did to one, for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did to me. Well, th this is then why it is sanctified and holy. So what I'm saying is that don't let your sinful heart ever make you think that you're not good enough or that you're not being a good Christian if you're not involved enough in the church. Don't let anyone make you believe that you're not doing good work unless you walk through the neighborhood, knock on doors, and ask people if they're going to hell or heaven when they die. It is not your job to convert the world. Don't think that being a husband or a wife or a father or mother, son or daughter is meaningless or just ordinary 
Jesus instituted the home. He called you to your family. He called you to be a Christian. He didn't call you to be pastors. He called you to confess the faith when you're called upon to do so, to give a good confession of the hope that you have. Look, you don't need to leave your family and home to do something extraordinary. God calling you to your home is excellent in and of itself. It is holy and pleasing and fulfilling in his eyes. So that's the first thing I want to tell you. God hasn't called you to be a pastor. He's called you to be a Christian in your vocation. He hasn't called you to leave everything behind to be a pastor. But he did call some men to leave everything behind for you. Not everyone is a minister. They're not. But God has called some men to be ministers for you, for your sake. Personally, I I thank God for all of the pastors that I've had in my life who have taught me and instructed me, the ones who rebuked me and corrected me and gave me good and sound advice. I thank God for them. They were pastors to me. And eight years ago, God called me to be a pastor to you. God called me through this congregation. Many of you weren't here at the time, but some of you were and remember that. He called me through this congregation to preach the word publicly, to administer the sacraments rightly to you. And this is my point, that your pastor is a wonderful gift from God. And I'm not saying that of myself. (laughs) Your pastor is a wonderful gift from God. I have my own faults. I have my own problems. What's wonderful is what I'm saying is the office of the pastor, the position or the vocation that God has created. Jesus calls poor, lowly men like Peter and myself and every pastor who's been a pastor who's unworthy of it to be in the office of the holy ministry to fulfill this work for a time. It's only for a moment. God is the one who does all these things. He is the one. It is his word. I may or may not be here from a, in a year from now. God, I, I don't know. God knows it. But it doesn't matter which qualified man fills the office. What matters is the office. So, some Christians, and, and you ought to be thankful for this, that you have a church to go to, that you have a, uh, a pastor that you can call upon, Uh, that you have a congregation that you're a part of. Because some Christians in this world can't find a good pastor or faithful church, even if they drive five hours on a Sunday morning. So you ought to cherish the fact that you do have these things and that your church is within driving distance, that God doesn't have to give it to you, but he did. God ordained men trained to read the original languages of the Bible, Greek and Hebrew, who have learned church history, who have learned what, it makes, uh, what makes a good hymn, who devoted themselves to preaching and teaching. God has ordained pastors to bear your burdens, to hear the things you have to say, to cover your faults with love, to live entirely dependent upon the church's generosity and trust that God will provide even when the ends don't meet. As a pastor, it is not my job to study business models and finances or to develop get-rich-quick schemes and church growth ideas. It's not my job to be your friend. 
It's not my job to be your therapist or counselor. It's my job to be faithful, faithful to the word of God. And that is the mark of a good pastor. My job is to have God's word in my heart and mouth and to be there for you when you need it. God called pastors to know God's word and to apply it to your situation, what you are going through in that moment, to pray for you, to teach you, to correct you. God called pastors to see sickness and death, heartache and pain on a consistent and constant basis. Pastors see what sin does to families and relationships every day. Pastors know the feeling of being betrayed and slandered, and mocked, and ignored, and laughed at, and disappointed. They know what it's like to pour countless hours and days into helping and teaching someone only to see them walk away and never return. They know this disappointment. They know what it's like to be worried and anxious and afraid. They know what it's like for people to get angry with them and leave without saying a word. They see the pain that unbelief brings. They know what it's like to be caught between two members fighting, demeaning each other, trying to bring peace, and then failing. And in all these things, they've repeatedly learned that what people truly need above all else, above their problems being solved, above health, wealth, and pleasure, is what people really need the most is Jesus. They see clearer than anyone else that they need Christ and him crucified. And that's what God has called pastors to do. To do what he says, even when it seems like it's not going to work. To leave behind reason and methods and techniques and all of these things and to cling only to the word of God. Just as Jesus told Peter to let down the net once more before giving up, So too, Jesus tells pastors to preach his word once more before giving up. In poverty and riches and success and failure, we leave behind all we have to preach his word again and again and again. So dear saints, God has not called you to do this, but he has called me to do this for you. To preach Christ and him crucified for your sins and to never grow tired of it, and to never give up on it. God called me to tell you that you don't need to win his favor, but that he is already pleased with you through the bitter suffering and death of Christ. God put me here not to tell you to leave your calling as if you have to do something better than you already are, not to leave your husband or wife or children, but to keep praying with them and doing the ordinary, seemingly meaningless work that the world is unthankful for and does not recognize, to keep doing that, knowing that God sees what is done in secret and he will bless you. You don't need to do some seemingly glorious and meaningful work, but, uh, but simply to do the work that he already gave you. If you're a father, then be the best father. If you're a mother, then be the best mother. If you're a child, then be the best child. Whatever your work, do, whatever your work is, then do it to the best of your ability. You don't need to leave these things behind. But the day is coming when you will. When you will leave behind all these things, your success, 
your career, your money, and even your family. Every single thing you've had in this life, you will leave it. And that day is coming sooner than you think. Soon, God will call you to leave behind all you have in this life. And when the day comes, the day of your death, you will leave behind your family and your friends and follow him. And yet, you will lose nothing. Because you will be with the God who made you and loves you and redeems you and has promised to give you back more than you could ever leave behind in this life. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.